Hey, this is Brian Courtney. Thanks for joining us for the Short Bus Debate Club. Today we are going to be talking about corporate welfare. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the well-being of corporations. I'm talking about the government giving corporations money for whatever reason. Um, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Darren Jolly. Hello, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm living the dream, dude. I am living the dream. So uh, I know this was a topic that you really wanted to talk about. Um, what what did you have in mind? Well, you 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 made a comment during the last uh, segment where you said uh, the invisible hand has a glove put on it, and uh, when I think about I mean, of course, when, when, when we talk about something like a cor when corporate welfare, we're talking about corporate welfare state, right? We're talking about, uh, uh, you know, there was an idea of the welfare state that existed up until uh, the 1970s. It began to get dismantled in the 1980s and definitely more in the 1990s than, any, any, than at any other point in time, certainly under Clinton. Um, but it seems like there was a shift to where these... Uh, uh, like the demand side issues that were being manipulated um, through the Keynesian uh, sort of like notions of economics that grew out of the uh, the depression and in the sort of like uh, post uh, military industrial complex time periods, um, because those were two things that I would argue were linked: the welfare state and the military industrial complex. But again, those are that's some, something else for another day. Um, uh, in the in the 1970s, something something else began to emerge. But uh, obviously, in, when uh, when the banks did what they did in 2007 with the with the home loans, um, something else different happened. Um, and when you start to see uh, bailouts functioning on that level, uh, where crises are being um, curbed through intervention, um, this sort of this belief in the functioning of capitalism as a system that reproduces itself has to at least be drawn into question a little bit because uh, you ha it, capitalism, capitalism is predicated on certain assumptions. I mean, think that the indivisible hand, you know, or like competition. Um, but when you have these moments where uh, the entire system starts to fail and you pump a bunch of money into it to protect the uh, interests of a specific I'm not even going to say a specific group. We're going to say to protect the uh, these entities that are essential. I mean, I, I accept the fact that banks have become a pretty core part of how the system reproduces itself. But when they commit criminal acts and then we pump a bunch of money into their hands so that they can maintain that position, whatever it is that we were talking about as capitalism, say, in the 1860s, doesn't uh, it doesn't really look like capitalism anymore. we we got to start understanding... Uh, what what something like a corporate welfare state looks like, what it means, um, and what it means for how we understand how the system reproduces itself. Does it make sense to call it capitalism anymore? If it doesn't, you know, how do we start to think about that? Is that something more like a socialism for corporations? So that that's why primarily I'm interested in this topic. So well, I don't I don't want to sidetrack you too much, but a lot of economists might say that a lot of what we're doing isn't changing capitalism but it is the progress of capitalism kind of like capitalism keeping up with the times if, if you will um you know 
and I don't think that this was right, but getting rid of the gold standard, um, you know, now the dollar is worth what? You know, what, what is it? Um, why is the dollar the dollar? We used to be able to say it's a dollar because of gold. Yeah, we've because got of gold. Some precious metal. Yes. Um, now it's just yeah, worth what it is because of yeah. how much we trade or yeah, how money, much paper yeah. is made or how many zeros and ones go through this particular server on this particular day. Um, I, I am in agreement with you in saying that we need to bail out, or we didn't need to bail out those banks. Um, the numbers that were floated were just outrageous, um, you know, and it wasn't just the banks, it was also the, the auto industry. Um, and when all was said and done, I think it was like, depending on who you believe, when you look at the internet or, or pull anything up, um, CNN money said one thing, the New York times said another, but it was like 400 and some billion dollars that they gave them. And 15 billion went to the, the auto group and the rest went to banks. And yeah, they went to the banks because they did stupid shit and it was criminal, but Nobody got in trouble because, well, they were these huge corporations and they were supposed to be needed and, and whatever. Um, you know, I, I think personally they should have just broken up that money and given it to taxpayers to pay their house payment. And then the loans wouldn't have gone in default. And the banks wouldn't have needed the float. Okay, so my my only concern with what with what you're saying is is this isn't just about an outcome that should have happened or shouldn't have happened. This is about a tendency that's existing inside of the system itself. And you can look at what happened at the beginning of the pandemic as another example of this. Um, but uh, I have a big concern with a, a thing that you said at the beginning of that, where you said economists might argue this is just capitalism keeping up with the times. I'm not, I'm not even sure what that means because. Capitalism is supposed to be predicated on a certain set of assumptions. It's a it's predicated on competition. It's predicated on not having state intervention manage your crises. If the if the state is 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 intervening to manage crises, then that is something more akin to what we have identified historically as socialism, right? So it so you have this tension in the system where uh, we function by so. Mom and pop shops have to function function on a level where they have to uh, play by the rules of capitalism. Uh, but if you're too big to fail, then there's a different set of rules. So you might be able to function like uh, in that state of competition during certain time periods. But when these states of crises occur, then uh, it's it, it's be beholden on the state to, to, to make sure that you're uh, that you don't go into disrepair so that we can continue to maintain a, 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 a systemic move forward. So. Um, I, I just can't dismiss the fact that, I mean, capitalism keeping up with the times, really, when I hear that, that really means that capitalism is becoming something else other than capitalism at that point in time. When you see the way that they funneled, you know, trillions of dollars into the banks at, in 2020, more, more money than they did in 2000, 2008. Um, when you see the way that they did the uh, 
Or they funneled monies into the uh, the airline industries when they funneled monies in into the, uh, uh, the boats, Royal Caribbean and all that kind of stuff. There were a ton of different spaces. There was money that was set up for small mom and pop shops, but there was not a system in place because we've moved away from a social welfare state. There was not a system in place to where that money would be distributed to these smaller companies. But in these larger instances, there was literally cash transfers that went from from uh, the Fed directly into the hands of these companies, and they, they, they I mean, it was supposed to be, it was under these certain uh, assumptions that they were going to not lay a certain number of people off to, to make sure that things were still functioning when, th when we came out of it. And a lot of the money was used for stock buybacks. I mean, like what, what, you know, I mean, these are very, these are very strange times, you know, I mean, it's not just, it's not just a question of, like I said, it's not just a question of saying, the way that they dealt with it was wrong. It's the fact that there's a tendency in the way that these solutions are coming up over and over again, and they're coming up on a systemic level. Well, I personally, I've always thought that we were not capitalists or, or not true capitalists. That's why I made the comment about the the invisible hand with the, the glove on it. I mean, we manipulate markets more than a true capitalist should and that's a problem i've i've always said we're quasi socialist or or closeted socialists because for some reason you know the gop hates to say that word socialism or or socialist um it reminds me of the bulwark scene again the dirty word, socialism. It's fucking so, hilarious movie, dude. Sorry. So it's, it's problematic, and I don't know for sure if there are economists that would say, you know, capitalism is just keeping up with the times. I'm sure you could find one or two, because in order to be an economist, you've got to be published and in order to be published you've got to find somebody that agrees with you or or wants to hear what it is that you have to say so a lot of these guys again you know sacrifice their integrity in order to to do what they think needs to be done which is to be published um but we we definitely have some problems. I mean, I talked about it. I think in in the second episode with regard to to farm subsidies, um, you know, basically paying large landowners to grow or or not to grow, um, which fucks with the cost of our food. Um, well, and it's an intervention. Yeah, and, and some people will tell you, well, this needs to be done in order to keep the cost of wheat at this much per bushel and, and do all of this stuff. But the market is supposed to take care of itself. That is the invisible hand. So if there's too much wheat, then the price will go down. If there's not enough wheat, the price will go up. But if you purposely say you can't grow wheat, and so now there's not enough wheat and the price goes up. That's not capitalism. It is an invisible hand with the glove. And maybe somebody's working one of the fingers. 
um, so that it could stick it up everybody's ass because they're fucking us. Um, anyway. so, so, solid image. <laughs> solid image. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I, I guess I kind of need to take back the economist thing because um, – I don't know for sure that any economist would say that. I was just thinking. I think you're actually probably right. I don't think that you're wrong that they would they would say that. I just wanted to take issue with the fact that they pass on this this thing. They say they say this thing that, you know, again, capitalism is supposed to be historically this very specific thing, and then when all of these other things start to come out of a system that has crises and the system starts to fail to reproduce itself. You know, that's that's just the point is, is that you just can't you can't. I mean, once something is is no longer it's changed, like you, you got five things in this hand and these are the necessary things that make this thing that thing. When you know, when quantitative changes lead to qualitative shifts, then you need to acknowledge that the thing that was the thing that you thought it was before is no longer the thing that you thought it was. That's all I was saying. Well, so and, and this kind of goes off of corporate welfare and might get into. I don't know, like negligence, fraud, um, political influence, but there, there are lots of things. So the reason mom and pops don't get a lot of the perks that large corporations do is because a senator and or a VP or you know, a, a congressman can't be a board member or a stockholder of a, a mom and pop, and pop shop. shop. Yes. And if you look at these reports that public companies have to put out, you will see names of senators, <laughs> of congressmen, <laughs> of all of these people that are large stockholders, you know, that have either dumped a bunch or got a bunch. Um, and that's, that's problematic. I, I don't want to say that we need to change it to where if you are in public office, you can't invest in the market. But what I would say is that if you're in public office, you can't invest in something that is going to create profit and or loss for you. And you can't invest in a company that, or or you can't influence a company that would be a competitor of one of the large corporations that you have an investment with at any given time. Because then not that it's human nature, it's criminal in nature to fuck with something and harm someone or help someone in order for you to make more money. So I, I don't know if, if we want to call it just corporate welfare because it branches out into too many fucking things. You know, I mean, if, if you look at Amazon or any large corporation, you can see that these big names are on there. And it's not just senators and congressmen. I mean, if you want to talk about the military-industrial complex, you can see 
four-star generals and stuff on these these stockholder lists. It, it's it's fucking crazy. Let, let me the influence you. that they let have. me interrupt you for just a second. So, no, since I work, fuck off. Yeah, okay. Since I work for the post office, right, which is supposed to be a quasi-public uh, institution, right? The current uh, postmaster general of the post office is uh, is uh, Louis DeJoy, right? He was a big donor to to Trump. He took a lot of heat over that. Um, but then there's this been this giant rhetorical uh, attack on him, where uh, the big D Dems, um, uh, you know, we're going to get this guy. He was trying to affect, you know, he was trying to make it difficult for people to vote during the election. Well, if you look deeper, you know, at the things that you're talking about right here. So when he became the postmaster general, he had to divest himself of of a few holdings that he maintained. He was the CEO of a company named XPO. XPO is they uh, buy and sell um, logistical uh, things that that help uh, post offices run in the big the big facilities in San, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. You're talking about like the belts and shit. That yeah, they I'm not sure exactly what they produce, and... but I know it's the, yeah, it's the heavy. It's the I know heavy stuff. I know XPO Logistics. Okay. Yeah. So um, he also had huge stock holdings in a small company named Amazon and another small company named UPS. Not sure whether or not, um, because the post office has such huge ties to these three companies that it might not be a conflict of interest to, with, for him coming in, but whatever, he divested himself and he went into that space. When I started, when, when he came in, we were uh, only delivering Amazon on Sundays, but as soon as he came in, all of a sudden we started dealing UPS on Sundays. Uh, you know, I don't think this is probably a coincidence. Um, on top of that, uh, the big D Democrat, who was the head of the Postal Board of Governors, who was the people who confirmed the Postmaster General in, in his in his appointment, uh, his name is Ron Bloom. Ron Bloom was uh, he he was um, he worked on the board of an asset management company by the name of Brookfield. DeJoy gave Ron Bloom a bunch of money because one of the assets that he was managing, I'm not sure exactly what the name of it was, was the primary uh uh, tie was to XPO. So he gives him a little over $800,000 to invest in XPO on the side. So what you're saying, of course, is, is totally true. And there's no doubt that there's all of these things are true at, the, at that same time. But when I say corporate welfare, this is exactly what I'm talking about. There's a number of these conflicts of interest. It isn't just in funneling money to, uh, to bail out big financial institutions. It's all of these, you know, people that are pretending to be playing a game called capitalism. And once these things that got instituted called corporations, uh, which in my estimation are nothing more than uh, uh, organized capital in the same way that organized labor was organized labor, they're organized capital for capital's sake, um, which it's odd that, you know, you can't you can't have union positions, but you have unionized capital all over all over the planet right now. Um, And through that, you continue to call it capitalism, but it really is just this thing that we we maintain an ideological disposition for saying saying it's capitalism, but it's really this other thing where all of these people that are hand, secret handshaking assholes behind closed doors are committing these acts, making tons and tons of money for themselves and each other. Yes, and they do. <laughs> when we're saying tons and tons, it, it's probably literally tons and tons if you wait it out. <laughs> Um, because it is millions and billions of dollars that are, are passed around from one to the other and, and back and forth. And, you know, it's funny, they will shut down a company because um, 
it got bad press or, or whatever. Let's say, for instance, maybe they were a military contractor and they were torturing people and the New York Times found out about it and they shut them down. Even though they were a, a publicly traded company, their stock went in the toilet, so they shut down. Well, the same people that owned that military contractor or that started it were on the board of directors, president, vice president, might go and start up another military contractor. They just give it a more sugary name. And, you know, they keep the torture on the down low. <laughs> so the the money moves and moves often. Um, and it's, I wasn't speaking about any one military contractor. Let me be clear on that. I, I was just using that as an example because it happens. It happened. It it will happen again. Um, and we're, we're not true capitalists. Um, what we are is cronyists for profit. Um, because we want to keep we and our friends rich. Um, and, make sure to keep our foot on the neck of they. And um, I, I don't know what you would call that from a, a political ideology um, besides fucked. Well, I, the only reason why I, 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 I love to lean back on the, on the, on the term socialist is uh, there, there, there are two reasons. Now, I, in all of these properties that you're that you're identifying, the cronies for profit, like of course, these are these are things we have to look at it on multiple levels of abstraction. But um, there was an argument that Marx made, right? And the the argument was that there were internal contradictions in the system that were going to bring about change. Those internal contradictions were going to be rooted in sets of social relations. Um, and through the tensions that exist between those social relations, real conflicts would occur. And um, also, um, not simply because of that, it's also because uh, capitalism was predicated on assumptions that were doomed to fail. And I know that you're probably going to disagree with me on this one because, and, and to be honest with you, if capitalism functioned the way that, you know, David Ricardo and, um, and Adam Smith in their fantasy land capitalism uh, imagined that it would, I don't think I'd have such a problem with it because you wouldn't have such a consolidated power position that had developed out of what it was that had ensued in the, in the years that followed when, when uh, these organized production positions and reorganizing production positions kept revolutionizing and re-revolutionizing and re-revolutionizing themselves. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there were certain tendencies inside of those those systems. So, I mean, you didn't just have little mom and pop shops. You had corporations that emerged out of them, and you had corporations that did uh, price fixing. All the stuff that happened started going on in the 1880s where monopoly capitalism started to emerge. I mean, it's funny uh, how, like, even Marxists don't, don't tune into the fact that once monopoly capitalism uh, emerged, uh, that sort of was the, the groundwork for socialism in many respects, because you start to have these people 
that are trying to uh, plan rationally the development of certain political e economic spaces. Now they were doing it, like you said, for you know, for profit. I mean, it's a crony position for profit. But if you suspend your mind away from that point and just focus on the fact that it's groups of people that are coming together to uh, to um, to plan, uh, not in not in a competitive environment, but where they're they're working together. Like I said, if, if it's price fixing, that's 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 two or three firms saying. Uh, we're going to set the price at this level so that we can make sure to make that that certain amount of money, and all three of us control the entire market. So I mean that's that's planning at that point in time. That is not competition, and those internal contradictions kept revolutionizing themselves. The the station the nation state solidified out out of uh, World War World War II, um, where America sort of like ascended to the top. Of course, we were going around the world manipulating everything, you know, but still the nation state was the, the, the formation that was existing. Um, but it was still not until the 1970s that those other internal contradictions where unions were starting to affect the ability for, uh, for uh, industries to make profit and uh, they decoupled themselves from the nation state. Uh, money, uh, things liberalized. So you are not tied to one specific locality. If you could get from one to another, you could organize your production in different ways. You just had to make sure that wherever it was that you were going to, like if you were going to invest in Venezuela, you know, uh, your oil wasn't going to nationalize. Otherwise, you end up in a Hugo Chavez type of situation. But what, what I'm saying, though, is, is that there's been this tendency through these internal contradictions throughout time to continue to create these spaces where these uh, production positions continue to rationalize. Now, the whole thing that Marx and everyone else fucked up on was there was this sort of assumption that the workers were going to rise up and take control of it. And this has clearly not fucking happened. This has been uh, not even lukewarm in that respect. It hasn't happened historically really ever. I mean, so if you go way back, and, and this doesn't have anything to do with capitalism or socialism necessarily but if you go way back to roman times they had two or three slave revolts um you know i'm sure in the united states there was some revolution with regard to slaves but the slave masters kept everybody pretty well in in check and if you fucked up, they would hobble you if you tried to run away, or maybe they would just kill you if you, you spoke up too much, which the Romans probably did too. Um, so the fact is that people in power have always been in power and made sure that the workers do what it is they want when they want, regardless of, of when we're talking about or what they're called, you know, whether they're called an employee or whether they're called an indentured servant or whether they're just flat fucking called a slave. And no one really has, has risen up. Like I said, you know, there were two major revolutions in Rome with regard to slaves. Um, but for the most part, those in power have managed to keep them, they, under their, their boot heel. Um, 
I am Spartacus. Yes, <laughs> I am Spartacus. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to see that that revolution that, you know, fuck you, we're not going to do it anymore. Um, I don't know if you consider the the auto strikes in the 80s maybe revolution um well i mean you like with the uh what was the uh the air traffic controllers I the mean, that air was traffic controllers moments, that, that was, was big but they they really put the kibosh in those kind of moves after that i mean like there's not you don't hear about strikes like you did during that time period well and so that that's kind of the question is that you know you you always bash capitalism and both of us can admit that what we are seeing today is not capitalism. And you talk shit about Adam Smith and his fucking wet dream or whatever. Um, I love, I love the caricature that you always put on me. But if we're, if we're not in capitalism now and technically we never have been, then is it capitalism that is the issue or is it fucking human nature that is the issue and, and greed and the fact that these assholes keep twisting things to where they maintain power and can make more whatever, more money, more stock options, which end up being more money or more of this, more of that, more time, blah, blah, blah. I mean, so is it the criminality of people and the fact that, you know, now you can twist it to where this isn't criminal anymore or this is, and that keeps my competitor out of the the way? Um, or is it truly capitalism? I mean, if we ever truly, which we haven't, if we were ever truly a capitalist society, could we say the same thing? Okay, so I mean, this this is obviously where we're going to diverge a little bit, right? Because when I when I utilize my, I, I don't use an ideal type category of capitalism. I don't use like I don't grab onto uh, the rhetorical dispositions of Adam Smith and David Ricardo and and, and the rules of it, except for to say that there might have been a moment where those tendencies were sort of functioning a little bit more. But as time went on, the structure of the system demanded that they became, started to become something else. So uh, when I say capitalism, I like it's, it's it's like capital volume one for me. Like I look at the the production process itself. I mean, it's 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 capital, you know, with the the inputs of, of the means of production and, and labor and that you 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 add value to an item that you sell for for a profit after that. And then you have to. So you start at this this very high level of abstraction where you're talking about the production process itself. And then there are these different moments, like in the way that you talk about it. So like you start to imagine the different components that you have to um, have that allow for that system to reproduce itself, but you do it in a static way at first. But then after that, you have to take it down to another level of abstraction where you, you imagine it in an expanded way. That's capital volume one, capital volume two and capital volume three. So like it's the original production process itself the production process integrated with itself in a simple form, and then the production process integrated with itself in other spaces of the production process in a, in a complex form. So where the tensions really start, really start to emerge. I never assumed that there was ever any real pure, you know, capitalist system. I just look at the fact that there were these certain properties that existed at some point in time. And as we, we, we kept moving through these moments, something else emerged. Now, human nature you know i don't even 
you know, I don't even know what to what to what to do with that. I don't I don't even know. I mean, people innately evil. You know, I know that people uh, they generally adapt. You know, to the circumstances that they're in. No, and I don't I don't think I'm talking about all humans. I'm talking about humans that have the ability to gain and remain in power because we're not talking about just Joe Schmo off the street. So right? are there two different types of humans then at that point? I don't know. I, and I'm not saying yes or no. And I'm yeah, think, I wasn't being a smart answer. No, I mean, answers, because yeah. we've got these people that have been in power one way or another for a while, right? And they're the ones that have the the means to manipulate certain aspects of the market. And when I say means, I'm not necessarily talking about money. It could be knowing someone in the Security and Exchange Commission and having leverage on them somehow. Yeah. Um, you could be networked. You, can, you can, could be having money in certain instances, but it's also all these other systems. Like you're, you're networked in certain places. Right. You, 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 you under, you're, you're at a certain level to where you have an understanding of the way that it produces it reproduces itself so you know how to to pull that trigger or pull that trigger connect to that part of it and make sure that these outcomes are continuing to it's like stacking a deck right yeah so if you have the power to stack the deck i'm i'm not saying it makes you evil but what i'm saying is if you are fucking over a large percentage of the populace in order to maintain power and riches and whatever else comes with that, then it's not an ideological problem from a perspective of so socialism or capitalism or democracy or anything else. It's a problem with human nature, possibly. And I'm I'm not trying to steer us down a fucked up road. I'm just asking the question because clearly these people have been there a while and they know how to manipulate the system and they continue to do so. And we continue to not rise up and do anything about it. So maybe there are two kinds of people. There, there's a there's a goofy show called Sense8 that was on Netflix, and they had Homo sapiens and Homo sensoriums, and there were people that were capable. I mean, that that's that was the first thing that popped in my head is they're they're the people that uh, the sapiens were the ones that tried to maintain power and power power power, and the sensoriums were the ones that uh, knew that they had to work in a social context where you're essentially not your own subjectivity, you're part of other people's subjectivity. So you you but I mean at the same time, um, it's more complicated than that. But I don't hate I don't hate the question. Um, but the only reason why, so when I, when I say ideological, um, I only say it that way because our, the, our buddy Janae that, that I brought up in the last, last episode, there was a paper that she wrote roughly in, in 2011. Um, and, uh, it was this idea where. You have like the Constitution right here, right? And you have the the actual concrete thing itself, and then you have the affinity that people maintain towards it. 
and they don't really connect anymore. People are just, they have a devotion to it where it becomes religious at some point. It's called strategic institutionalism. And when I think about capitalism today, it's very similar, where uh, maybe the reason why people are incapable of engaging is because of the fact, like you said, there's this, this, this group of people that understand how to game the system, right? And in almost a perfect way, you know, um, they keep growing and they keep developing, but they're, their whole, you know, their thing is just more, 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 more. But in, in a lot of ways, um, like even if you think about the way that January 6th played out, like there were some people that were honestly concerned. Uh, it was a really controversial comment that I'm about to make. But there were people that were there that were really, really are concerned about the future of things, right? They're, they're idiots for the most part, but they are concerned about the, about the future of things. But they don't know how to actualize themselves in relation to that. So they go and they 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 reenact the fucking Boston Tea Party on the fucking Capitol, which is just dumber than a fucking box of rocks. But that's a thing that like if you think about dumb kids that go into Starbucks and shoot shoot people up or grocery stores or like when people get frustrated and they act out. Right. Because you don't understand like these ideological spaces exist as a way to keep people trapped in a certain understanding. So they're incapable of ever being in a position to gain the system. And I want to be clear that when I'm saying that, I'm not trying to justify any of those things. Those things are all fucked up. But when you don't have any real outlets, you know, I mean, I, I like we're you know voting. I'm I'm going to do it. You know, I, I I I like I said, I get text messages from the APW all the time, and I call my fucking you know my my congressmen, my senators. You know, I mean, these are things that I do. I do write letters. I've gotten some pretty funny ones back. Um, I do do the normal things. I do some other unconventional things, like we were talking about. But having said that. When you divide people's consciousness from the way that the system actually reproduces itself, it produces some very odd, odd. But I mean, that's that's why I'm bringing up ideology because it's this thing that it's like it's like a religion, it's like a belief system. Like capitalism is this thing that we've uh, like the ideal type. It's in our head, but it's not. I mean, it's no, really, yeah, it's it's not the real thing, and that's that's part of the problem that I've had for a long time. I mean. You and I used to argue about this a lot because way back when you considered yourself a, a communist and not a Marxist, um, and we always argued about power structures from the the idea of if you were in a commune or like at the rainbow gathering and and we always argued you know that someone I always argued I should say that someone with the rainbow gathering is is kind of a hippie commune thing so someone within that structure is going to end up having more power than others just by nature alone with or without greed because of the fact that you know, some people are going to like grilled cheese more and some people are going to like snicker bars more. And so if they are putting more out there and more people want them, then more people are going to support them and et cetera. And then I always had the, I, I love the idea, not of calling it a commune, but you know, like if I would have won the billion dollars the other day, 1.337, that's a dumb number. I would have just bought a shitload of land and, and brought everybody there. Now, back when I would have had, you know, a thing where everybody had 
to do something to participate in in that little society you there. Wouldn't, you wouldn't do that now, still. Well, I mean, what the fuck would they have to produce? I mean, but anyway, okay. so if I did, uh-huh. then let's say you know somebody was growing crops, you know, vegetables. Somebody else was growing grain, and somebody was digging irrigation, okay, doing all yeah. that that stuff around the place. I think you still end up with somebody, even if, if you took out the fact that I bought all of the land and everything, and I just said this is ours, Thank and you, you took that out, and I, so now I'm not the power guy, mm-hmm. right? Somebody is going to end up having slightly more power than everybody else just by what it is they have to offer. Maybe wintertime comes around and pa- power shifts because now more people need wood yeah, to burn and, and keep the house warm Good at boots. night. Right. Whatever. So, and, and obviously that would not be a true capitalist system either, um, nor would it be a true socialist system. But my point is, is that we have been having this argument for a long fucking time, and I don't know that that we've come up with anything better than than what we had back then, except now, Darren is no longer a communist. Oh, He's I a actually, Marxist. I, I I actually am a communist. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> and and I'm only a, a like a nominal Marxist because Marx made some serious mistakes. So. But that's a different uh, a different discussion for another day. Maybe not one for me to have with you because I know that you uh, love this stuff so much. So, but to be clear, like this is this the, when I identify myself as a communist. Uh, in my estimation, communism is more a way of perceiving time. Communism is not about an ideal type, about a bunch of people coming together and holding holding hands and sharing shit and singing kumbaya. And I would never deny that there are tendencies towards hierarchies. Like, and I don't, I don't. Uh, have any illusions that hierarchies would ever disappear entirely. I mean, like some of the stuff we're talking about at the end of the last segment, like, uh, you know, my hopes are that things would be a little bit fairer, that people would have access to things a, a little bit more readily without having uh, to, to, to fight or to struggle so hard. Like if you're contributing a fairly optimal amount to a community, you should have healthcare. You should have uh, dental. You should have uh, kids. Your kids getting education. You have access to higher education. You know. You should have ways of continuing to enrich yourself as a human being. But that does not definitely does not mean for me that uh, we need to sit there and go have a fucking rainbow gathering, holding hands, singing kumbaya. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. And to be honest with you, I don't. I don't want that ever. You know. I. I am arrogant. I think I am smarter than most people. I do think that I would be a person that would tend towards. Uh, leadership roles you know but i also think that i'm a person who would kind of like a like you a philosopher king kind of person you know i don't really i don't really want them you know but i think that there's so much bullshit around that sometimes there are certain people that have to you know my spider-man moment you know the people that have the uh, the ability have the responsibility so so you know i i i think in at least from my perspective you know in closing i would say regardless of what society we're living in now, um, whether we're true capitalists or or quasi-socialist, closeted socialists, um, near communist, which isn't the case, but anyway, 
whatever society we're living in, I think that all of you have to do one thing and you have to ask at what cost and you need to ask the right people that question. So the next time we're doing a bailout or you hear that all of this money is going to this person or you find out that this person has this many shares and, and whatever, you've got to ask yourself what cost and then you've got to maybe try to figure out a way to hold that group or or that person accountable and, and let them know that you know what it is they're doing because the road that we're going down now is, well, I've said it before, it's not a good road. We're, we're on our way to a very, very dark place. And I still don't know why in all books and movies they have people that don't want to be in society living underground and they look like shit and don't have any clothes and anything else. I, I'm not quite sure why that's the case, but I don't want to end up being in Demolition Man or Free Jack or any of those those movies, and, and I think that that's kind of where we're headed. The Road Warrior. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and, and I want to be clear. I'm not trying to bring this up because I want to argue about an academic point. I bring it up because I think to effectively do what it is that you want to do there you have to understand how a system reproduces itself. So if on this other side, if this on this one side there's a, like a mythology that you believe in, then you're not connecting to reality. The only way you could hold people accountable, the only way that you can effectively game the system from a different point of view is to understand how that system reproduces itself. So that's why when I look at corporate welfare, state, or uh, this this very peculiar corporate socialist configuration that's emerged, I just think we got to know how they're doing it, like like you, you, the networks that they that they maintain. We we really need to continue to spend a lot of time looking at how the money's moving, where it's coming from, like like where you start to see where people are pretending to be on opposite sides, but they really have the same interests. Like we need to know what's really happening. Otherwise, we don't have any way of being intelligible actors that have the capacity to change the system itself. Absolutely correct, as far as I'm concerned. Um, hopefully, we didn't talk for all this for nothing. Um, but again, I am Brian Courtney. I'm Darren Jolly, 720 334. Roll. Short Bus Debate Club. We will talk to you soon. Thanks. Adios. Adios.